Uh, There are three readings tonight. Our first reading comes from Exodus chapter 20, starting from verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. But of those who hate me, of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord, uh, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Our second reading tonight is from Deuteronomy chapter 25, and we'll be starting at verse 13. Do not have two differing weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. And our final reading tonight is from Ephesians chapter 4, starting from verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must no longer steal, must steal no longer, but must work 
doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. This is God's word. Uh, My name's Simon, I'm one of the apprentices here, and as we begin, shall we pray? Father, please open our eyes to see wonderful things from your law. Um, Please give us uh, soft hearts, humility, as we hear where we're going wrong. Please show us the right way. Show us how wonderful you are. Amen. Thou shalt not steal. How do you feel about that one? Generally, my thinking over the years has been, it's been one of my better ones (laughs) out of all of them. So my sermon kind of would have gone something along the lines of, um, you know, next time there's rioting in London, don't loot JJB for some free trainers. Um, ever get approached to be involved in an Ocean's Eleven style diamond heist, don't. Uh, don't start mugging people. Um, should we stop for coffee? Gist of it. But then I studied it and it's much better than that. Actually, this command not to steal goes a lot deeper than that. Studying it, I found ways in my life that I've realized I've been breaking it without even realizing. I found what it's shown about my heart to be convicting and challenging and humbling. We think we're okay on this one, but we're not. It goes a lot deeper than we think, but also... It's just a lot better than we think as well. What we'll see tonight about God's character is amazing. And I think when you can see someone living out this commandment, really living it out, I think it's one of the most attractive qualities in a person. I really think it is. So tonight what we're going to spend our time listening to is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. So the reason we're doing that is that, rather than the Exodus, is that in every commandment there is the negative and the positive. So Romans 13, verse 9, says, The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. So the negative is don't steal in our case, and then the positive is do the opposite, love your neighbor. And so that's why we're listening to Ephesians 4, 28. So we see the negative, if you have a look down at it with me. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. And then the positive call to love, but must do something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. So that's what we're going to look at tonight, really, those two halves. So firstly, looking at the negative, don't steal. Don't steal. So verse 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. So the definition of stealing is taking selfishly from what belongs to someone else for me. Or in other words, it's take, take, take. I find it really interesting actually how in verse 28, selfishness is just presumed in it. Do you notice the thief is told to do something useful with his own hands so that he can give. Actually, selfishness is just presumed behind his stealing. And when we steal, it's just completely out of sync with God's character. So God is not a thief. Actually, God is kind, he's generous, he's fair, he's just. 
And we want to be people who mirror God's character. But when we steal, we shatter that mirror. So I guess for all of us, temptations to steal will come along in our lives and our our own contexts at different points and in different ways. For some of us here, there will be a very real temptation to steal money. Others, it could be a temptation to steal time from an employer, say. So let's imagine a lawyer, a lawyer who's been working for a client and is paid by the hour. And at the end of the month, he is asked to fill in his working hours and he'll be paid for how many hours he's worked. Now the lawyer knows how many hours he has worked and how many he hasn't. But if he says that he's worked a few more than he has, he'll be paid more. And that's a temptation, isn't it? So he could try and justify it to himself. Everyone else in his company does it. He could tell himself that actually like an hour of his time is more like an hour and ten of everyone else's. Uh, He tells himself that actually he works more efficiently than others. Thinks about it, no one will ever know apart from him and God. And he thinks to himself, well, after all, I have done it before. It's a similar situation too when he comes to fill in his expenses the expenses form, you know, could put an extra few quid on that meal he bought or the train ticket he lost the receipt for. Thinks to himself, no one would know. But when he does that, he is stealing from his employer. Well, let's imagine someone who works in an office all day and they're paid to work from nine in the morning to six in the evening. That's the expectation of her boss. But fairly often she'll arrive on purpose, 10 minutes late, spend the first half hour or so in the loose, putting makeup on, making a cup of coffee. And then before she knows it, she'll um, wind away another hour or so at some point in the day on Facebook, uh, maybe watching The Ashes, Wimbledon. And she could try and justify it to herself. You know, The Ashes are only on for a few more days or, you know, that blog won't take too long to read. Um, But actually, if she's being paid to work for that hour and she's not, she's actually stealing from her employer. Now, if she knows that it's really not in the spirit of her contract, if she knows that for her, her boss wouldn't want her to do it, if she knows that if her boss was standing behind her right there, she wouldn't be doing that, then actually she's stealing. Or think of the student on a student loan. Um, Big fan of the Fantastic Four films. Film comes out at the cinema. Obviously, cinema tickets these days are an absolute rip-off. Tells themselves that they really can't afford it on their wage. Um and thinks, actually, in a few months' time, maybe six months' time, it will be available for free on Netflix. So they find a way of downloading it for free illegally on the internet. They are stealing. Someone um, plays the flute professionally. Imagine she has to fill in her tax form once a year. Now, if she isn't completely honest about how much she's worked, how much pay she's had, she underestimates her income, then she won't be forced to pay as much tax. And especially when she does the cash-in-hand jobs, if she doesn't record them, she won't have to pay so much. Now, she wouldn't have thought to herself that that would be classified as fraud, but it is. When she does that, she is stealing. Or imagine the tech consultant. People pay him to tell them what computer gizmos they need. He knows full well that people who employ him have absolutely no idea what stuff they need for their computer. So he can tell them, well, he can see what kit they do need. 
he can see what kit they really don't need. And if he strongly advises that they buy and replace kit they don't need to, or buy more than they need, he'll look better than his colleagues, get more money. The client will be none the wiser. But he is stealing. Have another look, me please, at Ephesians 4, verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. So if you're aware tonight that you're in a habit of stealing, stop. Don't steal. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 25, we had read out. So it's about um, honest business practice in Israel. So the language is ancient, but the issues are timeless. And if we have it up. Do not have two differing, differing weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. So this is talking of charging a client or a customer dishonestly. Verse 16, the Lord your God detests the person who does this. So God is very clear, we must not steal. He hates it. This is something we need to repent of. The ways that we have stolen mean we need to beg God for forgiveness. We are commanded don't steal. We break this commandment. I know in my life I have. And now if you're anything like me right now, you're probably feeling guilty. Well, that's good. Because that drives us to ask, what am I going to do with that guilt? When Jesus died on the cross, actually he didn't die alone. To either side of him were two criminals, traditionally known as the thief on the cross. Above me is a giant visual aid. So both thieves, either side of him, being punished for their crimes. So the one to the right of Jesus hurled insults at him. His face is turned away from him. The one to the left defended Jesus. Even though he'd been convicted, the thief asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. And Jesus' reply was, Today you will be with me in paradise. So none of us have a clean record before God. We have all stolen in our lives in different ways. But when we come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, he longs to give it. He promises to give it. So no matter how small or how large, how public it is or how private, come to Jesus for forgiveness. He longs to give it. There's a hymn writer called William Cowper who really got this. He wrote in a hymn the words, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. So Jesus gives Christians so much. He gives himself for us. And he turns us from grabbers into givers. And so that leads us onto our third point. So be generous. So be generous. And that's the second half of verse 28 of chapter 4. 
He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. So the thief is changed from being someone who takes all the time to someone who gives, from a grabber into a giver. He's to work honestly in order that, so that he can give to those who need. That is the definition of generosity. Giving to those who need. Giving to other people. Or in other words, a generous person is someone who gives, 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 gives. And of course, that's exactly what God is like. God is the giver of all good things. The seats we're sitting in now, the clothes we're wearing, the relationships we have, the church we're a part of, the coffee we drink, every penny in our bank account, each one is a gift from God. Christ even gave his own life. And actually it's worshipping this God, it's believing about this generous God, believing this generous good news that will change us from being people who want to take everything for ourselves to being people who love to give. And I think as we look around church, we can see God doing that in people. He motivates us to be generous with our time. So it was great, wasn't it, hearing about International Cafe. It's the gospel that motivates people to want to give up a Friday evening to love and serve language students here in London. Or as people are eager to give up a Sunday afternoon to go and rehearse for the music for us, or to go out onto Edgware Road and talk to people on the streets there. As people give up holiday time, that you know, of course they could be sitting on a sun lounger to go and serve in a kids' camp. The gospel motivates us to be generous with our time. And think about it today, how much we have to be thankful for those around us who are generous with theirs. And Jesus motivates us from wanting to grab everything we can for our wallets and our bank accounts to being those who want to give money away. That is weird about people, isn't it? Weird about Christians. They want to give money away. I I find it really striking when you read in Acts about how the early church in the first century, how Greeks who became Christians living in Greece or Turkey actually gave really generously to Jews in Jerusalem who they'd never met. Christian Jews they'd never met. There's a famine in Jerusalem at the time. Uh, Christian Jews were starving. And the Apostle Paul went around and he delivered money from Turkey and Greece back to Jerusalem. What was it that made those Greeks? They'd never even met these Christian Jews. They never would, presumably. And yet we hear, we read about them giving out of their own poverty. We read of them changing their lives and their lifestyles so that they can give to these people they've never met. What made them do that? Jesus. They were so thankful for him and what he'd done for them. They were eager to share in this. Um, The reason we have a Bible in English on our laps today is largely down to the work of a man called William Tyndale. So think Henry VIII kind of time. And Tyndale dedicated his whole life to translating the Bible into English. It had never been done before. It was actually illegal at the time. He left his home in England to work in Germany, translate the Bible... And the Bibles were smuggled back into England, got round England and Britain, and the Reformation took off in this country. Literally, millions of people were saved. And of course, today, we're bearing the fruit of that now. All of that can be traced back to the generosity of one man called Henry Monmouth. Now, I guess probably very few of us here have ever heard of him. Henry Monmouth was a London businessman, uh, a fairly good income, 
He loved the Lord Jesus. He longed for people to know him. And Monmouth saw that there was a real need for the Bible to be translated into English. He, he saw that. He had that on his heart as a need. And he saw that William Tyndale had these language abilities and that he'd be able to do it. And so Henry Monmouth paid for William Tyndale not to have to have a job so he could spend all his time translating. He had him come and live in his house, paid for his accommodation, paid for his food, paid for his food to be cooked for him so that Tyndale could, could translate the Bibles into English. Today, we owe so much under God to the generosity of that man, Henry Monmouth. Just it's amazing what generosity can do, what God can do with one person's generosity. And it's the same gospel today that motivates us from being people who will naturally just want to chuck a, a giving appeal that comes in through the post into the bin, to being people who will think to themselves, wow, I wonder how I could give that. To be, it transforms us from being people who get the paycheck in at the end of the month and think, you know, what can I get for me, to being people being people who want to, want to give away. That's what Jesus does for us, does to us. I found it helpful thinking of times in my life that I've appreciated someone's generosity. And I thought it's both the big stuff, you know, the Henry Monmouth Bible translation stuff, but actually also it can be the very small day-to-day stuff. Uh, when my wife Lucy and I, about two years ago, first arrived in London, our very first Sunday here at CCM, uh, we arrived, first service, didn't really know anyone, Uh, You know, felt a bit alone, a bit lonely. And actually one of the first people we spoke to invited us round to hers for dinner that week. That was a really, I guess, small act of generosity. But it meant a lot to us. And we really appreciated it. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was going for lunch with a friend uh, over in the city. And we walked past a homeless woman. And I was kind of going to absentmindedly walk past and say, sorry. Um, But my friend stopped and offered her his sandwiches. I was really struck by that. What made him do that? Jesus did. He was so thankful to Jesus that he'd been changed from the kind of person who was just thinking about his own stomach to actually wondering if that homeless person had anything to eat for lunch. I'd love to be more like that. And that's what Jesus does. He transforms us from being grabbers into givers. And of course, we have to caveat all this by saying, you know, there can be a reckless generosity, can't there? You know, the kind of person, um, I guess we could uh, offer all of our time up or promise to be in more places than once, let people down or burn ourselves out. Uh, so generosity needs to be wise. Same with our money. Don't want to get into debt, giving lots and lots of money away. We need to be wise with our generosity. But it's the gospel and Jesus who translates us, uh, sorry, transforms us from being stingy people who'll never want to buy a round of drinks to being people who will, to being people who want to give generously and wisely in every way, naturally with their bank statements, holidays, homes, their lives, their time, to those in need, to the world, to their local church. So as we close, you have another last look at verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. So we have fallen short of this. As we look at our lives, we have stolen at times. Stolen money dishonestly, time from employers. We are guilty of breaking this commandment. If you're aware of a way you're stealing, you need to stop, repent today. And as we look to Christ 
look to Christ who will forgive us, we see such a generous God, one who gave himself, who gives everything. A God who I want to be like. That's the kind of God we worship. And a God who transforms us from being grabbers into givers. Shall I close us in prayer? Father, we are truly sorry for the ways we have stolen and are stealing. Father, please help us to turn away from that, to stop that, to fight that temptation. And please, yeah, transform us from being those people who take and grab for themselves. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for how generous you are, Father. Christ gave his own life for us. Pray that we would be those who give like him, that we would copy Jesus. And please show each of us ways we can do that and grow in that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.